I want to walk back through the book of Malachi. I hit this about six weeks ago, and we went through it verse by verse. It's a short book, and um, but it hasn't let go of me. So I've been looking at it for weeks, and uh, I want to look at some of the bigger themes connected with it. There are questions asked, and uh, so that's just kind of where I want to go this morning. Um, in regard to the people that this book was being written to, sometimes we don't realize the scale of what we're participating in historically. And so in setting this up, Israel had had its heyday about 1000 BC with David who expanded the kingdom. You know, you had Saul first and then David and then kind of consolidating that and, and building infrastructure and all the rest was Solomon, who, who was, had a very wealthy season, so to speak. And that was its peak. But this book is almost 500 years later. And what's happened in the meantime is that there's been a gradual slide. The, the kingdom is split apart into two groups and they've also gone through a period of captivity where they were hauled off into Babylon, 70 years. And so they've come back, they've rebuilt the temple, not to its original splendor, but at least rebuilt it. They've been looking at the walls. This is a contemporary writer of persons of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so I know those books are in a whole different section of the Old Testament, but if you were to track the history, that's kind of what's been going on. Furthermore, Malachi is seen as being the last book of the Old Testament, but also the last writer that the Word of God came through for the nation as a whole, and then you have a period of roughly 400 years. I know that math doesn't quite add up, but I'm giving you roundabouts within 100 years, okay? That said... It's one of those seasons where nothing seems to be going quite as well as it had, and there's this wish of, where's God in all of this? Does he care about us? Does, you know, what, what's our obligation and what's his obligation in relationship together? And it's easy to start walking through those kind of questions, particularly the fact when you're connected to just the day, so to speak. Uh, the fact that when we look back and we say, well, obviously God was speaking through Malachi, and obviously even the prophecy of Elijah coming and John the Baptist fulfilling that, yeah, it came true. You know, God was, was powerfully speaking, but in the day, you'd have been going, well, I don't get it really. What, what's going on here? So we'll, we'll walk through a few of these questions together. They're looking at a nation right next to them called Edom, who are loosely related to them through Jacob and Esau. Their Jacob, Esau, was connected with the, the nation of Edom. When they were hauled off into captivity, Edom survived it. Edom was built in, in a mountainous area with deep ravines. If you've ever looked at the pictures of Petra and places like that online, you'll see these these temples and buildings carved out of stone. You also realize that the, the ravines are very narrow and so easily defensible. 
And yet, when the question comes of, okay, yeah, you, you said Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, you know, you made that declaration that I'm picking Jacob and showing Pharaoh. Uh, where does that leave us? We got hauled off into captivity. Now we're looking at a shell of a temple and a wall that doesn't even stand up on its own, really. And, you know, we've, we haven't recovered any of the, the uh, glory, so to speak. And yet Edom, you know, they've, they've treated us poorly. They stood at the crossroads, it said, and struck down stragglers. Uh, they helped the enemies, turn them over. You know, they let them pass through so they could take on Jerusalem. So, you know, this miserableness comes out. And, and the first question is, you know, um, how is that expression of God's love? And, and, and God addresses that and says, okay, you know, you're looking at history. Know this, Edom's going to be destroyed and never rebuilt. Ever. And it happened. Now, not that year, not the next year, but within 100 years of that prophecy, suddenly Edom is no more. In fact, Edom hasn't been rebuilt even in today. You, know, you take tourist trips into Petra, and uh, apparently the bats are everywhere. You don't want to be there at night. There's incredible other creatures that it's a miserable place to be, but, you know, architecturally, it's amazing. Well, great, but that country is no more. And so God's telling them, yeah, you look wretched now, you're barely getting by, but you, you actually are going to continue to live. He says, that's a declaration of my love over you. Now, we look at the nation of Israel in AD 70, they, they were destroyed. The Romans came in and just wiped them out. And yet, in 1948, Israel's reestablished. So how do you carry a national identity for 2,000 years and somehow resurrect? Except that God's hand is on that thing. But then you and I, you know, we're <laughs> when we're looking at things every few minutes, you know, updating each other on our relationships on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, we're not thinking hundreds of years, right? Rarely do we consider history. And yet, when we're dealing with the hand of God, working in things, what's really needed to be understood is that he operates on a scale that goes much wider than anything we look at, and the span that he's dealing with goes way beyond our lifetime. And so even though things through our entire life may not appear to make sense in the short term of God's love, the declaration coming out of this writer is God loves you. God loves you. And it's something that in some ways we step into by faith because not every day proves that, not every day, not every moment is a banner moment. Not every moment is a selfie that you're going, see how happy I am? But God's love is continuous. 
And the expression over history bears that out. That's the first question that they walk through. And he's addressing that. The second, he says, God was looking at this people group and saying, you're disrespecting me in this moment. And I go, what are you talking about? We, you know, we go to the temple. They, they're going, we're doing religious things. But he addresses the fact that they, they aren't wholehearted into this worship or wholeheartedly pursuing this thing. Um, rather, it's, it, it's kind of a make-do time. And so where it's coming out, where unbelief is coming out is that um, it's like yard sale sacrifices. You know, they're, <laughs> they're buying something for a few bucks and saying, this is a treasure. I hope you appreciate it, God. You know, that's, that's kind of the approach. Um, some, of <laughs> some of my friends recently were teasing me and... Uh, saying, yeah, you're Vinny's hipster. You buy your clothes at Vinny's, but uh, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> well, I still love the place. No. <laughs> we can't give God seconds or a, a fraction and declare that I'm all in. You know, you have to evaluate and say, where's my heart in things, and where, what's the level of my belief and faith? And we need to be willing to call unbelief what it is when we're practicing that. And so it's, it's walking through things like this and, and God telling them, well, yeah, you're bringing seconds in everything you do. Why am I supposed to be happy with that? Now, for years, I would walk through this thing of people say, give thanks to the Lord, you know, and it came out and, and I was, thank you, God, thank you, thank you, you know, and it's just, it felt so phony. And, uh, and you're trying to think, I, I, I know in theory that I'm to be thankful, but how do I, how does it get inside? Now, I would suggest that one of the things that, that helps is to immerse yourself in the Scripture, particularly the Psalms that are giving thanks, and allow that to be a, a time where you're just kind of, okay, what, you know, my attention's here. I, I see this thing of thankfulness, so what, what around me should I at least be declaring thanks for? Or what things... What things in Scripture do they give thanks for? And, and just, you know, rather than, than saying, well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it at all, which is just, you know, living kind of foolish on, on just the emotion of the moment. But beyond that, making it more than an intellectual exercise is, you know, how do I get that into the depths of my heart you, you choose to put some energy toward it, but also you allow the, God to speak to you as to what you're really a part of. I mean, if we, if we truly grasp the immensity of who he is in, 
orchestrating all of creation and overseeing it even in this moment and yet personally caring about each individual life, there is something inside of us that needs to say, this is amazing. This is a significant being that's, that's worthy of attention. And, and we build off of that. And as we cultivate such things, we, uh, years ago, a guy named David Maines, he would, through the Lenten season, he would take on different things. And he would, one year he said, we do God hunts at our house. Every day we kind of go on this search. Where's the hand of God? affecting things. And, and for that whole season, that's what they focused in on. And it always stuck with me, the God hunt or the God search, you know, training yourself to, to look outward and say, where do I see the hand of God affecting a life and touching a life? And to make declaration of that and thankfulness when I see it. Uh, it's just like for a, a long time, Shark kept a notebook of blessings that had come into our lives. And it's amazing when we review that. Now, neither of us is systematic enough to keep it going for 38 years, 38 wonderful years, as of yesterday. <laughs> but uh, the, the idea is that if we do put the energy into it, it works. And it draws our hearts into a, a, the place that they should be. Um, the next thing is, in the second chapter, uh, they're going, you know, we're weeping before you, we're praying, you're not answering. And, and the question is, why is there this relational distance? Why don't we feel anything? We're putting energy into this. And God says, you are... You're living with sin in your life, and you're expecting everything to be okay. You've embraced certain dynamics here that, you know, you're saying it doesn't matter. In this particular case, he says, you're abandoning your wives and, and uh, living in adultery, and then you're saying, it's not that big a deal. You know, or, or you're intermarrying as one of the other charges. But it, that's the specific, but the bigger concept is there are times when we want to embrace our sin in such a way that says, well, he can have every portion but this, but I'm, it's just, you know, I, I, I like what I'm doing. And then we wonder why, what's, what's the disconnect here? And why am, why am I having trouble getting connected, so to speak. And what we have to evaluate at times is, if there's a disconnect, is it my fault? You know, have I, have I stepped into some junk and I've been unwilling to disengage? And uh, I think, you know, he's, this writer is just saying, you're walking through this, but you aren't admitting that you, you aren't all in in this so to speak. Um, so it's that, that thing of just looking and saying, there are times when my prayers don't seem like they're going anywhere, and they aren't because I've been unwilling to address the issues that he's put before me. 
Now, thankfully, God doesn't address all our sin in the moment. Um, I, I'm grateful for that. But what he does address, then there's a responsibility to take it on and change. And so, you know, when, you, when there's that awareness, I am not doing what I said I would do, or I'm not walking in obedience with this. You know, if, if you go to pray and there's something of, of guilt that comes in front of your mind whenever you, when you do start to pray, it's time to deal with it. It's time to just be courageous and, and step up. You know, that's, um, I mean, <laughs> sometimes I pray, you know, if there's any offensive way in me, you know, reveal that. But generally, there's enough for me to see that it's right there on the burner, that I, I don't have to go searching very far. You know, but it, it, it sure makes it better when, when it's taken care of. And then, okay, let's go on. There's, a, there's another issue that comes up, kind of in connection with these. There's actually a visiting of several issues and then a revisiting of them uh, through the book. So you have like three main items, and then there's, it's a revisiting of each. But it kind of comes up in different declarations, but there's, there's a looking around. Now, they looked at the other nation, but they're also looking at, at individuals around their lives and going, where's the justice? There are people that are living evilly that are doing really well. So where's the justice in this? And where's the God of justice? You know, that's one of the, he's loving, right? He's also just. So what's he doing today? You know, and I, I see people flourishing. And, uh, you know, he comes back and visits and says, I will bring to judgment Everyone that's living in, a, in a sorcery and adultery and, and liars and those who oppress others, he said, I'm going I'm to deal with that. But again, it's not necessarily on the timetable that we want. You know, in our home, when I feel like I've been slighted, I want justice immediately. When I've done the slighting, well, we'll get to it, you know. But that we all kind of function that way, right? I mean, we, we see what others have done, and we're, we're ready to see things set straight. But in regard to ourselves, there's a tendency to say, it's not that big a deal, you know, and I'll take care of it. Well, God says, he sets the timetable as to when those things are addressed. Um, then finally, in regard to... Um, agreement. The children of Israel had made a, uh, and this is Malachi 3, 7 and 8. Children of Israel had made a covenant before God in agreement. They made vows. And the vows were something of this effect. We will live this way and do these things if you will bless us and come with us and participate in us as a people. So God was saying, I will take care of you. And then he was saying, on your part, you need to do these things. And so the specific of this particular thing was tithe and offering, but 
it has a wider application. They had stood in a specific place, made specific vows, and said, this is the way we will live. And then they had stepped away, kind of in the unbelief of doesn't really matter, and God's saying, you made vows. You made an agreement. You want me to function in agreement? Then you do too. And so there are times when we have to evaluate and just say, what have I promised to God? You know, in the form of a vow, what, what, have, what have I said I would do and yet I haven't done? Or I've slid away from or I've just abandoned because it you know, didn't feel like doing it that day or month or year. You know. um, we have to, to walk through this then and just say, okay, Lord, are there areas of agreement that I've made with you? doesn't really matter what anybody else has agreed to, but I've said I would do this. So what are you asking of me? And, you know, it may be that he's, there's nothing that comes to mind. That's an awesome day. But it might be, too, that he said, you know, you, you, you made this commitment, but I haven't, you know, you're not following through. And so the challenge becomes, help me to respond and be willing to follow through with vows that I've made. Sometimes he releases us, but it's, it's worthy of asking, do I need to keep doing this? I want to read the fourth chapter um, because it's, it just kind of caps off the whole thing, and it's a redeclaration of God's, uh, God's blessing and judgment uh, together. He says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root or branch. So he's saying, for those that persist in doing evil, there is a judgment day coming. Here's the other side of the coin. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Then he says, in review of that, the vows and, and, and such, he just says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So he says, Remember what you've committed to do in obedience. Follow through with that. He says, I, am se I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, Elijah had already died, but the second Elijah, the one who functioned like Elijah, John the Baptist, was going to come right before Je or at the time of Jesus, but kind of the forerunner, right? So he says, before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." So he's saying, no, that I'm still, I have my hand on this land, and I'm going to continue to work in it. Now, John the Baptist didn't come for, like I said, close to 400 years, or a little more than that. So in the moment, even though this writing is a declaration from the Lord, and it's accurate, they wouldn't have seen the application of it in their lifetime. They wouldn't have seen it 
played out in faithfulness. And there are times when we have to look around us and say, I'm not sure I'll ever see things in my lifetime quite the way that God has promised. I don't know that I'll see the return of Christ. I believe in it wholeheartedly, but when's it going to come? Don't know. Um, you know, that's... <laughs> as a kid, you're, I was always thinking, oh man, if, it, if we even make it to the year 2000... Well, that came and went. And then there's, you know, the idea of, well, the older I get, the more I could see where it'd be stretched out for a while yet. I was hoping it would go the other way where I'm going, closer, closer, closer. I don't necessarily think that way anymore. But at the same time, I'm still convinced of his return. And his orchestration of all of history and the pulling of everything together in such a way that everything that he has declared comes true. And so in looking at that, there's, there's this thing of saying, I believe. Even in for Malachi, I can see where um, some of what he declared has already happened, but there's more to take place. And it's good to review some of these major themes and acknowledge that, yeah, there's times when I doubt the love of God because of I'm living too narrow-minded or too, too self-focused. There are times when my unbelief allows me to worship half-heartedly and, and think that God is honored by such a thing. You know, the God who knows me better than I know myself and it's like I'm trying to scam him. You know, I'm going to go through the motions. A lot of good that's going to do. And, and just to, to walk through these things and say, okay, is there a block because I've lived in sin? Or is there, is there something where I'm saying, just right? You know, no, he is just. And it's our privilege to keep pursuing this thing together in him. We thank you for this book, Lord, though written hundreds of years ago, still speaks life to us. As we enter into communion, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to, again, um, embrace your work in our lives. Amen. In the New Testament, Abraham is called the father of faith. It's not because of the genetics of him producing the, the nation of Israel, but it's because it says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God gave him a promise, said if you leave your people, he said I will make a great nation of you. So he left, left home. When uh, God promised him a child, he believed God even though you know, he's a hundred years old before that child's born. So physically, he was as good as dead, but it happened anyway. When God says, I want you to sacrifice that child on the altar, he takes the child up to the altar. He's ready to plunge in the knife. And God says, stop. I know that you've committed yourself wholly to this purpose. And so when we look at that, we say, he believed God through 
incredible circumstance. So I don't know what your circumstance is in this moment, and I don't know what things would move you toward unbelief. You know, if you, if I talk to you, I'd probably guess, but that's not the issue. It's like, will you walk in faith today rather than unbelief? Will you take the steps that speak of confidence in God's faithfulness and to fulfill his promises so that that's the way you keep walking in spite of what you see or what's around you? That's the challenge that we're called to. I want to pray for God's blessing on you. What remains then is open-ended worship. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the faithfulness of your promises. As each one walks through this life, Lord, I pray you'll give them confidence that they can trust you in all things. As we go out into the community, I ask that you give us words of life to speak over others. I pray that you'll enable us to carry out the workings of your kingdom. I ask that you would enable us with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.